If we go through a trial and wrongly think that God is against us, it pushes us into deeper darkness. But the plain truth is, believer, God is indeed for you and not against you. And that makes all the difference whenever we go through the darkest of times. Find out more next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. Well, we have been engaged in a powerful series called More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times. It's a timely study on Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 39. Now, this series is designed to bring the strong encouragement from God's Word that no matter what we are going through, even the darkest of times, God because of his great love, has already made us more than conquerors. Now, in the last episode of our series, we took a look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. We explored the reasons why, as God plainly declares in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And it's all based on the initiative of God, His eternal purpose that underlies and drives all that He does for us, including the fact that He works all things together for good. No matter what we go through in life, good or bad, it's incredibly encouraging to know that God is absolutely sovereign, that he overrules all, and he stands supreme, that his purpose shall stand, and that God will accomplish all that he has purposed to do. And because of that, dear friend, we have real hope no matter what we are going through. Well, today, we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. And I'll tell you something, in this passage that we have been working our way through in this series, in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 39, there's a building up that happens verse by verse by verse. And it really doesn't just happen here in Romans chapter 8, 15 to 39. It's this incredible, powerful march of God and his goodness and what he does first from our very worst, which we found in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, and then we see God stepping in and making all the good difference that it makes in our lives. And then, boy... (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. Let's read this together. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now, today, we're going to be going through these verses, and here are the highlights of this incredible passage. First, in verse 31, God is for us. So who can be against us? The second point is verse 32. God the Father gave his own Son, and so he freely gives us all things with him. The third point, God is our justifier. Therefore, no one can bring a charge against us. Verse 33. And then finally, verse 34, uh, the final part of this uh, aspect of our lesson The one who has the rightful place to condemn, righteously, judicially, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he doing? He died for me. He rose for me. He is at the right hand of God, the favored place. And listen to this. He is interceding for me. Okay, let's go to verse 31 And the first point, God is for us. So who can be against us? Here's what we read in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, that's powerful. And it starts off by saying, what then shall we say to these things? Well, what are the these things it's referring to? Well, remember the great rule of Bible interpretation. Always remember that a passage's context is how we interpret that Bible verse correctly. So there are three layers of context. First, there's the immediate, which is the verses around. Second, there is the proximate context, which is generally the chapters around. And then third, and perhaps the most important context of all, is the larger Bible-wide level of context. So first, let's look at the immediate context of this verse, verse 31. And of course, we find that in Romans 8, 28 to 30, which we covered in the last episode, that God is working all things together for good to those who first love God, and that's 1 John 4.19 informs us that uh, we love because he first loved us. And then second, it says that are the called, which refers to the effectual call of God that commands our destiny. And And it's all according to his great and good purpose. Okay, that's the immediate context. What about the proximate context. Well, it really is all of Romans heretofore. Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 
and the verses in 8 all the way to this particular point, verse 31. That's why at the beginning of this series, we took three lessons to deal with victory in context, and we looked closely at the context of Romans chapter 1 all the way on up to chapter 8. That's the proximate context, starting with our worst, bringing in God's best through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the incredible difference it has made in our lives. And then there is the larger Bible-wide context, and that is the context of the new covenant, which is the covenant of God's grace. It's based upon the righteousness of God. And remember, that's uh, the heart of the gospel, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And that's not our righteousness, so-called righteousness. The larger Bible-wide context speaks of the all of this being based upon the perfections of Jesus and his perfect, finished work on our behalf. When I think about those last two, I'm thinking about the book of Hebrews. We took a series some time ago called Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant, 50 Lessons. Hebrews is the basis of the gospel. It speaks about the perfection of Jesus to his person as the perfect Son of God, as our perfect high priest, as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, who has perfectly finished all on our behalf. And that immediately begs the question, how in the world do you think you can improve perfect? If he finished the work and he did so perfectly, we are those who enter into the benefit of that perfect finished work. Okay, so that's the context of Romans chapter 8, verse 31, and that informs the these things where it says, what then shall we say to these things? Now, it says next in verse 31, if God is for us, this can be a little confusing in English because the if seems to make it a question of maybe he is for us, maybe he isn't. But you see, the Greek is better translated since. Since God is for us, who can be against us? And dear friend, this is the greatest security of all. God, who is supremely holy and righteous, is for us. I want to say that again. It bears repeating. God, who is supremely holy and righteous, is for us. Why? Because of all that God has accomplished for us through Jesus' holy and righteous life and his sacrificial death for us. And so it says, if God is for us, since he's for us, who can be against us? You almost get this sense it's, it's almost defiant. In the face of everything that happens in this world, God is for me. Believer, I want you to say that right now. 
God is for me. He is for me because he has accomplished all righteousness through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is for me because of his great love, Ephesians 2, 4. He is for me and not against me because that has been his plan all along. And you can find that out in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, all of Romans and all of Hebrews. That's been his plan all along. And Oh, friend, here's the consequence of it all. Therefore, I am, and you, believer, I am loved by God. I am chosen by God. I am forgiven by God, redeemed by God, made holy by God, born again as a new creature by God, and adopted by God as a son and rightful heir. Hallelujah. Therefore, no one can righteously be against me. Now, dear friend, it can be hard for us to embrace this glorious truth from God's Word. We live in a day that is dominated by bitterness, unforgiveness, lawsuits, shaming, and even revenge. And now these days, they've got this thing called cancel culture here in the United States. And if you don't know what cancel culture is, it's something that a person has said even decades ago. It's dug up and used as a weapon in the name of justice to destroy them. So maybe somebody said something a long, long time ago, and it wasn't a good thing. It might have been a very wrong thing to say. But people these days dig this up and they use it as a weapon in the name of justice, to destroy that person's reputation and have them canceled from culture. And so people are calling for boycotts, firings, and cancellation of anything involving this particular person. Well, dear friend, I want you to know that that behavior like this, this cancel culture, is nothing but hellish and demonic it is patently satanic. Why do I say that? Because Satan, whose name literally means accuser, is the one who acts this way. Listen very carefully to me. Such actions are patently unchristian, ungodly, demonic, and satanic. Christian, never, ever, 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 ever do you or I, should we ever engage in such wicked behavior? Cancel the cancel culture now. Why? And I get worked up about this. Because God says in his holy word, Romans chapter 3, that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Verse 13 says, Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their 
eyes. Dear friend, that sounds like today's headlines. If there was ever anyone who ever had the right to cancel someone, even to condemn someone, it is God himself. And we all deserve it. We have all sinned and transgressed against holy God who is so good. None of us deserves anything but retribution, damnation, and hell. Yet God himself has moved in such a holy, righteous way to make forgiveness, reconciliation, even blessing possible to us damnable sinners because of his great and holy love. And he did that through the perfect life, suffering, and death of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How dare we cancel others? How dare we stand in league with Satan, the accuser, in the face of all that God has done for us to forgive, reconcile, redeem, and restore us? Christian, don't you dare get involved in such hellish, demonic, and satanic things as this monstrosity known as cancel culture. Don't you dare. You are forgiven, and therefore we have a command before God to forgive. Even in all this cultural madness, in league with Satan, dear friend, remember, God is for you, not against you. You know, I was seeing this stuff that's going on these days and the way people are acting, and it bothered me so deeply. And then I considered what the Word of God says, how none of us are good. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all destined for hell apart from the sovereign, saving intervention of God. And then I realized what was bothering me about this cancel culture and the stuff that we do is we are raising ourselves up above God who has forgiven, God who restores and reconciles, God who redeems. Throw away that satanic garbage. Embrace the love of God. Point number two in this passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. God the Father gave his own Son, and so he freely gives us all things with him. Here's what it says in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Oh, this has to be one of the most breathtaking verses in all the Bible. Think about it. God didn't even spare his own precious son. He delivered him up for us all. It reminds me of another great 
Bible verse. We're so familiar with it. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the great demonstration of God's great love. Let me say those two verses again, the one we're on right now, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Then John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There is absolutely nothing greater that God could have possibly ever given us than his own dear son. Nothing. So, in the logic of the rest of verse 32, it is clear. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Think about it. He didn't even spare his own precious son. That is the propulsion, the dynamic, the driving of the incredible love of God. So, how in the world couldn't he give us all things? all things. Look, if God loves you and me so much that he didn't even spare his own son for you, he delivered him up for you, then how in the world couldn't he also give us all things? It's impossible. So in your crisis, you may have many needs. (laughs) Really, we always have many needs whether good times or bad, but it seems that during the bad times, we really see how truly needy we are. But listen, believer, you are not a beggar who has to beg for crumbs of blessings at the king's table. No way. And yet too many Christians pray beggar prayers or they sing beggar so-called worship songs, where we feel like we have to beg God to give us what rightfully belongs to us as his children. And that's the point. We are not beggars. We are his children and his rightful heirs, because Father God has made it so. We are children and sons at his table good times, and bad. Our Father didn't even spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. And you have the authority of His Word right here in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, that He therefore gives all things together with His Son. Spiritual blessings, physical blessings. I believe that God wants us to be a blessing in this dark world, especially in the darkest of times. Over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, that we are children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights in the world. When do you see the light? When it's dark. And I want to let you know, friend, that we are outrageously blessed by God. That's Ephesians 1.3 and Ephesians 3.8. In fact, 
all of Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We are so outrageously blessed by God that we would not only enjoy the blessings of beloved children of God, and I think that's what our Father God, one of the reasons why he blesses us is just because he loves us but also that we can bless others so that we can be a blessing to others as well. This series, More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times, is being recorded in one of the darkest times that we've seen in quite a long time. Not only have we dealt with the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, the disease itself, people dying, people suffering from the disease, but Perhaps even more significantly, the serious and even catastrophic impacts of the lockdown itself. Many have been laid off from their jobs and wonder if they will even have jobs to go back to. Others have lost their jobs altogether. Many others worry that they will be next. Maybe that's you. Listen to me. We are indeed more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Well, dear friend, the clock is just getting away from me, and we have two more points in this passage, Romans 8, 32 to 34, uh, I'm sorry, 31 to 34, that uh, we need to cover. Uh, That will be point number three, God is our justifier, therefore no one can bring a charge against us, that's in verse 33, and then uh, the fourth point. The one who has the rightful place to condemn righteously, judicially, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he doing? He died for me. He rose for me. He is at the right hand of God, the favored place. And this touches my heart. He is interceding for me. That's Romans 8, 34. We'll do that next week. I want you and I to take a moment and read these incredible verses again in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. And I like to say this, I I teach a Bible study on Monday nights. I frequently will tell the group that as we go through the Bible, no matter where you are, I want you to see the verses, the passage before you as breadcrumbs to the heart that lead to the heart of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34, these verses certainly lead us to a deeper understanding about the way God really is and his heart. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died 
And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. Let's pray. Father, this is such a profoundly holy moment, having seen your heart revealed to us by your word, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. And Father, in some ways, it almost seems to be too good to be true. But Lord, we know that it is true because you are that good. And Father, all we can say is thank you. Thank you for your infinite, perfect goodness. Thank you, Father, that your love drives you, propels you in such a powerful way to give your Son on our behalf so that we could be brought in as children of God and rightful heirs, sons of God at your table. Thank you that you brought us into your family. Thank you that you have saved us. You've forgiven us, justified us, that you've reconciled and redeemed us. You have made us holy all because of your goodness and your infinite matchless grace. Father, I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would take this word that we have shared today by the Holy Spirit, and continue to turn on the light of revelation and understanding in the knowledge of you. Lord, that we would have a deeper, clearer revelation of who you are and what your heart is like. That we would understand the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and uh, the fact that you have called us, Lord, and your exceedingly great power toward us who believe, even the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and lifted him up, exalted him to the rightful place at the right hand of God the Father, where he ever reigns. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, friend, during these trying times of crisis— It is very important to remember, turn off all the godless noise of the world. It seems when things get tougher and darker, the world just becomes louder and more screeching and wanting to cut in front of us and fill our ears with all sorts of stuff. So turn it all off. Turn off the news. Turn off all the politics. Turn off all those people who prognosticate and predict what's coming, even though they never bring up what God says in his word, the Bible, at all. And you may even have to turn off some Christians who are predicting gloom and doom or who are caught up in the latest conspiracy theory nonsense. My Bible declares that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and that is in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances imaginable. Look at the verses around Romans 8, 39. And you know what else, friend? 
I read the back of the book, the Bible, and we win. Hallelujah. Well, those are the things you turn off. Turn off all the screeching, screaming noise of the world and turn on God. Turn on God's word. Seek him. Walk in his promises by the Holy Spirit. Do all you can to build yourself up and your brothers and sisters in Christ in the faith once delivered to the saints. And keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's why our Daily in Christ podcast and website exists to build up the saints, to declare the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to unequivocally teach the new covenant and the unmixed, unvarnished grace of God. I want to encourage you to visit our website at dailyinchrist.org to find out more. That's dailyinchrist.org. I'm Mark Van Oos reminding you once again of what it says in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Amen.